Welcome to another episode of Adversarial Learning. of Adversary Learning. We've got a great episode for you this week. Our guest is Sarah Guido, and we're going to have a, a, a pretty fun, interesting conversation with her in just a minute. Uh, before that, I just want to remind you of all the various logistics. If you want to find the podcast, you can go to adversariallearning.com, or you can look on iTunes or Stitcher, or if you have a, a different favorite podcast site that you can't find it on, uh, let us know and we'll try and get it there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. It's adversarial underscore L. Uh, we don't tweet much except when we have an episode. Um, and if you want to drop us a note, uh, give us feedback, ask us a question, suggest a topic, suggest a guest, you can send us an email, adversarial.learning.podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that's all the administrative stuff. So onward to the show. Hey there, everyone. Uh, this is Joel, and I'm here with uh, Andrew, and uh, we are very excited uh, to have a very special guest, friend of the podcast, uh, awesome person, cool data scientist, uh, Sarah Guido. Hi, Sarah. Hi, what's up? Uh, just recording podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, for our listeners, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I am a senior data scientist at Mashable in New York City. Um... I like Python. I like Spark sometimes. Um, I have lived in New York for almost three years now. I've worked at a couple other startups in the city. I've worked at Bitly, I've worked at Reonomy. Before that, I was in grad school at the University of Michigan. Um, and before grad school, I was a poor musician. I have an undergraduate degree in music performance, so I uh, switched careers. And yeah. Just enjoying life in the Big Apple. What was your uh, What was your your instrument of choice? Trumpet. Oh yeah! Wow. Nice. I am a I'm a classically trained trumpet player, so my I had wanted to play in an orchestra. Um, yeah. That dream died. You had to settle for data science. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I settled for data science. Yes. My wife yeah. played the trombone. Oh, cool. Apparently, if you if you do the French horn, you're never out of work. Yeah, um, yeah, so I entered, so people ask me, like, why did you go into music if the economy was bad? Well, I went into, I always started my undergrad before the recession hit and left college after the recession, so oh, yeah. when I during went, the, during yeah. the trumpet boom, <laughs> there, the I'm not sure there was ever was, a boom, it was but, mostly, mostly just Michigan, I think, yeah, it was more of a trumpet bubble. It, it was a bubble and a burst. No, so well, my undergrad. I went to undergrad in Indiana, so not even Michigan. Yeah, Bloomington, Indiana. Oh yeah, I know somebody. The Jacobs there. School of Music, which is actually pretty, pretty good. Oh, it's one of the few states I've never been to, and I, I, I don't feel like I need to go. So, 
Yeah, I, I lived in Bloomington for five years, and I am more of a big city person. Where'd you go to grad school? University of Michigan. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. then, uh, and what was your field? So I went to the School of Information. So I have a Master of Science in Information, and then my special spe- uh, spe- specialization. Why can't I say the word? Is something called Information Analysis and Retrieval. Okay. Um, which is, was basically data science. I was doing that like right as data science was starting to become the hot new thing, mm-hmm. the, shall we say, sexiest job of the 21st century. <laughs> right. I can kick you out of this, this podcast just fine. <laughs> it's a PG-rated podcast. Yeah, listen, oh, my daughter oh. listens to oh. this. <laughs> okay. although, although these days probably sexiest job of the, of the 21st century, it, it counts as PG. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, did you? Uh, so, how did you get into the to, into the data science field? Did you, did you go directly from school? Or? Well, so it's it was kind of a weird journey. So, as I was approaching the end of my undergraduate degree, I was like, "This has been great. There are no jobs, and I'm pretty good, but I'm not like rock star ninja unicorn level." So, I <laughs> music <laughs> and music. So, I'm probably not going to get. Um, a job in a in a big city. Do, you, do, do so. they use those terms in the music field? Um, they didn't when I was in school, but okay. now no, they're not, just, a, not even rock star. Not, well, I mean, I wasn't playing rock music, so mm-hmm. orchestra star maybe. I don't know. First um, trumpet. <laughs> trumpet star. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was like, okay, what can I do next? So I had worked at the library at my undergrad campus since freshman year. So at first I thought I would do library science. So I graduated from undergrad a semester early and I got a job working full-time in the library. And it was while I was working full-time in the library that I realized I did not want to work in a library, mostly because like customer success or customer um, service is not like my, my strong suit. Um, I what, what, is, what is library science? So library science, if you study library science, you can go be a librarian. Okay, but what's the science part of it? I did not study that, so I do, do you, not know. Do you like um, run experiments? You know, how to make paper, I don't know, actually. A-B testing, we put the book on the top shelf or the bottom shelf and see which one gets checked out more. <laughs> you know, that would have been very interesting. I bet there are library data scientists There is stuff with, there. with information retrieval, yeah, yeah. Information retrieval is really cool. Um, so anyway, back to Build, my... Building a card catalog? <laughs> yeah, well, it's all digitized now. Oh, I know. I've um, been to the library. Oh, you have. Wow. Good to know. We have, we have those here. Yeah, we, we have little kids. It's not like I'm going to buy them all those books they want. <laughs> right. Free at the library. Uh, yeah. Yeah, libraries not, are not, great. Anyway. Not the, anyway. Not the way we do it. <laughs> Yeah, I realized that I did not want to work in the library, even if libraries are great. So I had applied to different grad schools um, for either information science or library science, and I got into some, and I decided I would go to Michigan because I'm from Michigan and I could get in-state tuition. And also, that's not the only reason. And also, um, they, have, they have a really good, like, University of Michigan is, is, a, is a great school, lots of great programs. Yeah, it's one of the best public universities in the country, so... I decided to go there. So I went to grad school. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I would do technology consulting. I didn't know what that meant, but it you sounded like it would be profitable. 
You should start um, doing that. Yeah. No, no, no. Min- muscle men can tell you what it means. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but then I started learning how to program, and I loved programming. So That's I actually, terrible. well, I still love programming. I actually Me learned too. I learned PHP first. Oh yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize. Um, no, it was it did it got the job done. Got, it did. I I actually like I did back end Drupal development. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my, the, my, for the web, the library website at, at U of M for like my first year of grad school. Yeah, is, that, is that really pronounced Drupal? Yeah, yeah. it's pronounced Drupal. Well, How do you think it's word. pronounced? Either Drupal or Drupal. I don't know. I've only oh, yeah. ever seen it. Like the performer. Which is a performer? performer named Drupal? No, oh, RuPaul. Drupal. Yeah, that's probably oh. why I thought it actually. Yeah. Oh. I used PHP when I built an internet for, for my school, too, and I, I thought it was... Um, Wait, you, you built an internet? Intranet. Oh, intranet. Okay. Intra- <laughs> you said you built the internet for your school. I, I was like, what? I built the intranet. Well, yeah, one it, time... Go, go ahead. Well, I just, the thing I liked about PHP was the, uh, the documentation was, was awesome. It, you know, on the web, php.net slash function name would redirect to the, the documentation page. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. One time, uh, like... Many years ago, probably like five years ago, um, I was working at a startup and I was trying to hire like a junior data scientist. And so I created a little take home test as uh, I, I was I was ahead of my time in that way. Uh, but I sent it to some guy and he sent me a solution in PHP and I kind of didn't know what to do with it. Like, Why did you solve this in PHP? Um, so it was an analytic problem and, and he solved it in PHP. Um, he he did something in PHP. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he solved it or not. I didn't know what to do with it. But yeah, so after I learned PHP, my second semester of grad school, I'm going to keep us on track. Oh, my sure. second semester of, of grad school. <laughs> there is no track. Good luck. <laughs> There's no track. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I took a class called Data Manipulation. It was a half semester class. And, That's a funny title. Um, it was really intense. It was a lot of Python programming homework, just manipulating data, and I loved it. At first, okay, so at first I kind of hated Python because I wasn't like used to white space. What? pipelining and transformations and stuff or what? You know, I can barely remember because that was a long time ago. Um, What did we do? We we were just given different data sets and we had to like answer different questions about the data sets. We did some map reviews. The Iris data set? Uh, (laughs) I don't think we did. I think we used much more. (laughs) We we used much more interesting. And, uh, and uh, robust data sets than, than the Iris data set. Um, but yeah, so after doing this class, I was also taking an information retrieval class at the same time. And that was very interesting. Um, I was like, wow, maybe I can do something like this as my career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after some Googling, I was like, oh, what's this data science thing? So, um, did, you see, was it the, did you see the Venn diagram and that, that got you hooked? Or? <laughs> I, uh, she found, she found your Twitter. You know, like, yeah. Right. You know, I, I actually can't remember when I first saw the Venn diagram. It might've been then. Um, I don't remember my first Venn diagram experience. Um, sadly, but, uh, I, I got a summer internship with, um, an ad tech company in New York city called media radar. And I did a lot of sequel. Um, they were at the time, I don't know what they are now, but they were like a, a .NET C Sharp company. And I was nice. like, I know Python. Um, so I did a lot of SQL, which was great because I had never really done a lot of SQL before. And 
it, like was, SQL. it was it was good I for like SQL learning SQL's all fun. that i love it i mean yeah databases databases are great well <laughs> i mean i like <laughs> sql <laughs> i like sets of data that can be stored in databases um yeah, the queries are fun. The databases are kind of like a necessary evil to go along with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then after that, I just started speaking at conferences and doing more internships, and then I, I knew I wanted to move to New York, so found a job, moved to New York. Here we are. How did you know you wanted to move to New York? I lived in New York for three months during my internship, and I loved it. It was awesome. Now it's, it's still mostly awesome sometimes. I enjoyed living in New York a lot. Yeah. I don't think I could do it now. I've never lived there. It's pretty cool. I visited. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, when I go to New York, I just go to Midtown for a day and then go back home. Yeah. It's kind of not the right way to, to enjoy New York. Well, we had we had drinks in the West Village. It's true. Yep. After yeah. deciding to move the venue like two times, right? Well, or, yeah. New York is crowded. I was, yeah. I was on vacation in New in New York uh, on 9-11. And oh, so, boy. Uh, really? I've, ne I've never been back since. Oh, I my actually, God. I went to the top of the World Trade Center on 9-10. Get out of here. Wait, holy shit. Are you serious? Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. This is kid-friendly. Okay. My bad. My kid hears that all the time. My oh. daughter just the other day told me, don't say fucking. <laughs> 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 so now I have to watch my language. Wow. So you were there... Where were you when the planes hit? Um, I was on the Upper West Side, and uh, what happened was I was uh, staying with a friend, um, and she was going down to work, and she worked actually sort of near there, and I was going to go to a museum that day. Um, and as we started to get on the subway, uh, there was a guy who said, due to a plane crash, uh, no service to WTC station. And so, like, I assumed that that meant, you know, like a little plane crashed or something or whatever. Um, and so then we got down there and we actually got stuck in the subway. And there was like a couple people who had like a little Walkman that they were kind of giving the whole subway car a play by play. Wow. On. Um, and then eventually they got us to the next station and we all just got off. And um, I went into like hardcore survivalist mode. I like made us buy all this bottled water and hit up an ATM and, you know, Jeez. get thousands of dollars of cash out and stuff. And then nothing. Really, I mean, a lot of stuff happened, but. When did you fly out of New York after that? Um, you know, I was supposed to fly out a couple of days after that, but all the flights got canceled, so I was there about another week. Hmm. I, uh, uh, cause I, needed, I was on vacation. I needed to get back to my job, um, and then the planes weren't flying, and so I looked into uh, Greyhound, um, and oh. Greyhound, Greyhound could have gotten me home, but it would have been like more than a 100 week. hours consecutive on Oof. a bus. I was like, you know yeah. what? I think, I, I think I'd rather get fired, um, <laughs> so, so I just waited it out. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Never been back since. Not not deliberately. I just sure. haven't had reason to go back. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's my uplifting story for the day. <laughs> so, Sarah, do, do you get angry when people mispronounce your last name? Uh, no. I mean, I'm pretty <laughs> used to it by now. When they okay. do it on purpose, um, like we're gonna then do. I get, then I get annoyed because. It's just people trying to bother me. Um, but, but it is pronounced Guido. 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 But you, usually when you see that spelling, it's pronounced Guido, right? I mean, I mean yeah, I guess. It's understandable. You guess or it is? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I haven't met everyone in the world 
okay. named Guido right. or, or Guido. So I, you know, small sample size. People ever call you Greedo? Nobody, <laughs> nobody calls me Greedo, no. What about Guide Dog? Guide Dog? I mean, <laughs> if my a, last name had a G at the end. Um, or, or a D-O-G. <laughs> Yeah. I, I've never thought to call you guide dog. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I, I never did either until I was making notes for the podcast and then it occurred to me. Great. Yeah. These are some stellar notes. Very stellar. Very thorough. Right. Well, so the, and there's a question. I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but we ask a lot of people, uh, is it necessary to get a PhD or should you get no. a PhD? No. So, but for you, could, we could tailor it a little bit. Is it should you get a master's? I mean, I had to get a master's because I was changing careers. Yeah. Um, so you became a master <laughs> of information. Yes. <laughs> um, honestly, though, uh, the way that the industry is going and the way that a lot of these college programs are going. I don't know if it's going to be forever necessary to even have a master's degree um, in order to get into data science. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to become like a senior level VP type, whatever, obviously you're going to have, need a lot of experience and whatnot. But to get into the field, I mean, I, you know, I see a lot of job descriptions that still have like, you know, must have mm -hmm. master's degree or must have a PhD in blah, blah, blah. But um, I'm not even convinced I don't that, that you, um, people have bachelors, you know, um, that that's a requirement that HR put in there, but yeah, I would never right. require it. Yeah. The JD, yeah. So I don't know. And there's so many great resources online. Um, especially with all of these universities, open sourcing all of their mm -hmm. lecture videos and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, especially like to fill the demand, right? Because not, not just data science, but tech in general. It's going to be such there. There is already such a demand for people to fill tech roles, mm -hmm. and not enough people to fill them. Although, or, did did you guys uh, retweet that tweet a couple weeks ago about? Uh, I think it was John Miles White about uh, academic type people with no coding skills are are effed basically. Um, uh, I, I have been that. avoiding. I've been avoiding that. Twitter. How? How do you do that? Mostly. Yeah, I, how well, do you do that? <laughs> I deleted it from my phone. I'd mostly look at Twitter on my phone, but I deleted oh. it from my phone. And actually, my quality of life has gone up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, what was it again? I, you said it, and then I immediately forgot the what it was. Academic, academics are, are academic have a tough types time. without, without yeah. strong coding skills Perfect. and production software, writing skills, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, all of the, or I guess the... The jobs that are available are mostly jobs that require some sort of actual programming component. There are, you know, what Google, Microsoft, they have research divisions, but your 20 person startup definitely is not going to have a research division. I mean, there was a, there was a brief shining moment where uh, if you could invert a matrix, then you were employable, right? <laughs> Maybe. You're not supposed to do that, though. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I think you're not supposed to do that. Um, I've done it a lot of times with big with big matrices. Oh, but um, I think it's because it's just it's incredibly expensive. Uh, expensive or numerically unstable? Oh, I don't know. 
I don't know. Could be both. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's numerically unstable unless you spend a lot of money, and so <laughs> therefore it's expensive. Guarantee results. Right. So 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 uh, so anyway, uh, one of the one of the genesis for this episode is that a word genesis, like the portal could of genesis. Be, could be. Could sure. Be. Okay. One of the genesis of this episode was uh, a little discussion we were having about data sets that we hate. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Sarah, Sarah does not like the Iris data set. All right. So yeah. let me just preface this by saying no, that. No, 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 no. I need to preface it. So <laughs> the Iris data set. It? I am. No, I'm going to prologue it, actually. Okay. No, go for it. Because epilogue would be at the end. Um, right. um, yeah, so the Iris data set is very simple. And, you know, if you're just starting out with machine learning, it's a, it's a great data set. It's very simple. Tell us about um, what the Iris data set is. Oh, yeah. Because when I hear Iris, I think Goo Goo Dolls, and I don't think that's this. It's a <laughs> flower classification data set. It has different, like, petal lengths and widths and sepal, sepal whatever width. the sepal is. Um, what's, the difference, what's the difference between a petal and a sepal? Is it I sepal or sepal? I know what this is. It's the little green things that look like petals that are b below the, the, the petals. Really? Sepal. For okay. long Sepal. Sepal. Oh. Or actually... Sepal? Actually, no. So the Google insert result is saying sepal, but when I go to Wikipedia, it's saying sepal or sipple. Hmm. So well, so what is yeah. it? There's color, there's color, petal width or, or length, sepal width or length. Yeah, and then all of these flowers are classified into one of three categories. Species. So. Right. Which what what are those species? Something uh, something something versicolor, something technicolor, and something. Three varieties of iris. Okay, three kinds of iris. Yes. But what's why don't you like flowers? I don't get it. No, look, flowers are fine. Here's what I don't like. Um, <laughs> it's a very simple data set, right? So, uh, it doesn't really give you a good idea of just how complicated it can be. To, um, to train a classification model on a set of data, mostly because, uh, and I think not just the IRIS data set, but I think a lot of, um, not a lot of, but probably a fair amount of data science courses and programs suffer from this, is that they give a nice, tiny, little, neat data set with no, uh, that, that requires no data pre-processing or anything like that to people trying to learn and say, this is how you do classification. Yeah. Except when you try and, um, you know, when you try and do much more complicated things, uh, using that particular data set, the Irish data set, as an example, doesn't really help you much. So yeah. I ran into this problem because I was learning about random forest regressor models, and I was, was trying to do some interesting data transformations and trying to figure out like the best way to apply this model to my data. And I you know, was looking to see online if there were any examples using relatively complicated data sets. Since the, the data that I'm working with is, is, very, is very, very high dimensional and very complicated. Um, and like, I kept running into multiple blogs, um, some published by companies themselves, 
I'm not going to name any names, that try to demonstrate. Iris Co. Iris Co. Iris Co. Yeah. They try to demonstrate um, these very complicated machine learning algorithms on this very simple data set. And a lot of them are just literally copying off of the scikit-learn documentation. So I was like, I don't know. I just kind of was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, I realized that, first of all, writing a blog takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot of your free time. And if you're, you know, trying to put some resources online or try and make a name for yourself in some way, you may not want to spend 80 hours writing a blog post on super complicated data. But to see, like, actual companies um, putting out these kind of resources with, like, very, very simplistic data sets is kind of frustrating um, because at a certain point you get past basic understanding of what class- classification is and how to do it on very simple data sets and you're, you want to know, okay, how do, but how do I do it on really complicated data sets? What, what do I do when I have categorical and numerical values? What about when my data is missing or when my classes are really severely skewed? All of these questions. And I think sometimes uh, blog posts and companies and people try to answer these questions using this particular very simple data set. Uh, so it's not that well, I hate the Iris data set, it's that... Um, <laughs> people that use it. No, I don't hate the people who use it. I, I think that in general, as a community, we need to do a little bit better job of, of uh, exemplifying complexity in... You wrote that one star review of my book, didn't you? <laughs> I actually haven't read your book, so I'm Ooh. sure it's great, though. Oh. No, my, my book is all about uh, implementing algorithms uh, kind of by hand from scratch. Um, and towards that end, most of the data sets are, are really uh, clean and synthetic and small. Well, that makes uh, sense. That makes sense. There's a balance, right? Yes. And those people writing the blog posts aren't, you know, they're probably doing it in the, in the evenings and, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and also, I, don't know that, also, I mean, what, what would you? Uh, so, just as a counterpoint, what would you choose for a for a blog post to to demonstrate how how craptacular real world <laughs> data sets are? Hmm. Um. I would probably. Uh, so, New York City open sources a lot of its data, and one of these interesting data sources that it open sources is um, all of the three one one calls that the city gets. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I think this, that would is that be information or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a band, like... right? <laughs> right. Um, maybe a little Omaha. bit before my time. Um... <laughs> a little bit before your time. It was like a band that came out like after I graduated college. Oh well, there you go. Um, but yeah, like co- like complaints, neighborhood complaints, and whatnot. Like it would be really interesting to. Um, like that Big Brother Ooh. website for neighborhoods, right? What's that yes. one? The nosyneighbors.com? Nosyneighbors.com? No, it's not that. Oh, it's, it's something uh, else. Oh, it got a, it get, yeah, it's getting Next like, door. A, that's it. It's called. Yeah, and it's turning out to be like, it, it comes up in the um, ethics and data conversation sometimes. It, it, mm. It's pretty awesome. Actually, I, I, I got my digest today. This is the best dinner option in our neighborhood. <laughs> wow. Sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> Missing yeah. endangered adults. Okay. Yeah. I actually like I I thought about starting a blog and calling it I hate the Iris dataset and then just like writing up all these examples of machine learning algorithms with more complicated data, but like it takes that. 
that takes time. And I realize like I'm complaining about something that I could very easily provide the solution for, for but you know, <sighs> time, yeah, just... time is money. Money is scarce. I mean, could you pitch it, pitch it at work? Hmm. Make Actually, it a, make it a group maybe. blog, find a bunch of haters like yourself and, uh, I'll go in on it together. Is it that what this podcast is for? Um, yes. In oh, the no. sense that Andrew and I are both haters like yourself. Um, <laughs> but no, in the sense that neither he nor I is going to write any blog posts about machine learning. I'm not doing sets. that. Great. No okay, cool. Well, what about you guys? What data sets do you so hate? So, uh, I worked for several years at a startup called Volometrics, and we did analytics on enterprise collaboration data. So we would go into big companies um, and scrape data off of their exchange servers or their Gmail servers um, and build basically a social network analysis, who meets with whom, who emails whom, how often, what topics, um, things like that. You know, who's the most connected, who's the least connected, how do people spend their time? and as you can imagine, that's data that people uh, and companies are not all that eager to let you look at um, for various reasons. Some of them worry about the legal risk. Some of them worry about um, what would happen if our employees found out we we're doing this. Um, some of them just don't want to get sued. Um, and so you need to go in with like a really compelling use case. Hey, here's what we can do with this data. Now, you know, and let's give an example that's not on your data, but it's on someone else's data. And generally, you know, you can't show them another company's data. So you have to have some kind of demo on realistic looking email data. And if you want realistic looking email data, uh, there's one game in town and that game is Enron. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time uh, R&Ding and prototyping and building things on top of that freaking Enron data set, which is, you know, a bunch of criminals emailing <laughs> each other. I can say that. Like, I went to school in Houston, and, like, half the people I graduated with went to work at Enron. So you can also, like, figure out how old I am since Enron's been out of business for, like, 15 years. But Man. Yeah. Did, when you guys, I... did you guys write your own parser for the emails, or did you use some library? Or... Um, we basically, uh, I think we used a library, but it's for the Enron data set, it's pretty easy, right? They're just in inbox format. And I think they're even one email per file. So it's really like a bunch of header lines, each of mm -hmm. which are plain text, subject, colon, you know, subject, sender, colon, sender, um, and then an email body. So there's not a lot of parsing to be done in that sense. Um, did you, I mean, but, but did you, how'd you deal with replies being in the body? Um, so, so the short answer is that most of what we did did not involve email bodies. Um, one for kind of privacy reasons, uh, they were kind of okay with us looking at the social graph and most companies yeah. were not okay with us actually looking at the email content itself. Okay. Um, the second being that that became an orders of magnitude, larger data problem mm -hmm. uh, that we didn't want to deal with and that we weren't equipped to deal with. So, um, we were mostly just parsing headers. When I was job hunting a few months ago, uh, like three or four of the coding challenges for different companies involved the Enron data set. You would have I been so happy, Joel. I saw, I saw a joke on Twitter that like 50 years from now when you say Enron, people will be like, oh yeah, the email data set company. <laughs> and like, that's all they'll remember about it. Oh man. 
What about what about you, Andrew? What's your what's your most dated? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to choose from, um, but I mean, you know, obviously, real world stuff is where it gets gross. Um, so, I think one of but my don't favorites... you love that though? Don't you just love digging into like just like real world the TV show or real world the world? <laughs> yeah, like real world business. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I it, it's true, Sarah. I mean, I I enjoy problems and like so i'm one of those people that gets gets pleasure out of being upset so um so yeah it is fun uh and and one of the funnest ones was um trying to get data out of a out of a a mainframe program uh that nobody knew what any of the field names were or, or, or meant so they were all just machine generated by some application that was written 15 years ago or 20 years ago there was no information about any fields as far as what's in there or what they meant or, you know, whether they were a key or... or Is that a New York City that. siren or a West Seattle siren? It's a New York City siren. Okay. Yeah, we don't have we don't have sirens out here in the country. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, So we just, we I mean, and there was no documentation. There was actually no way of figuring it out except for uh, somebody to go through the actual application code and infer what things were that that's one mm. um i also had uh, struggled with uh, i was trying to get uh, apache software foundation mailing lists together in something searchable and you know you know all queryable and everything and it just turned out to be uh kind of a pain because uh, the the way they do their email um on the web is uh some kind of ajax so there's no way just to to, to scrape all the emails um, they're also in inbox, but I found it, I found it really, really tough to, to parse. So, um, actually that the, the inbox stuff was easier than the ones that actually came from exchange. Um, hmm. the stuff we were doing was not, um, it's not that it was prohibited, but it wasn't like an officially supported, uh, exchange use case. So in yeah. particular, it wasn't really documented. Um, and a lot of fields, uh, would either be populated or not be populated or have slightly different meetings depending on the version of exchange you were running. And again, this wasn't documented anywhere. Yeah, so, yeah. um, after I left, uh, that company actually got bought by Microsoft and, and, and I hope that they were finally able to get kind of the exchange expertise they needed <laughs> having access to the people who wrote the program. Was, wow. So let me just ask in these notes, it says AKM hates, ASF mailing lists, real-world data sourcing, and people in general. I want to oh. hear about people in general. I'd oh, love to just, hear about that. I'm just a misanthrope. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> just admitting it. Okay. I mean, not not. Awesome. I mean, it's it does. It sounds harsher when you say it. <laughs> um, people are annoying. Um, I don't know. I mean, except for you know, except for me. Except for except for except our for listeners. You. Right, our listeners are not annoying. The, the people who it. listen to this podcast are awesome, and the ones who recommend it to their friends are even better. Oh, and the people who buy uh, buy Joel's book and and Sarah's book are are, are not not annoying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, so that's right, Sarah. You you have a book now. You're an author. I do. I'm an author. What is um, it about your book? And how it compares sure. to my book? Uh, is well, it better, <laughs> So it's, it's different. Um, it's called introduction. I would to, hope so. <laughs> it's called introduction to machine learning with Python. Mm. And it was co-written 
uh, by one of the core contributors to Scikit-Learn, Andreas uh, Mueller. Um, oh. I'm certainly pronouncing that incorrectly, but um, actually, also, like, wasn't really he our person too? Or? I, I don't think, think so. I I, I don't know. I follow him on Twitter, and he mostly does Scikit Learn stuff. And okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I will say that this project became a reality because of him, because as it turns out, I do not really enjoy writing books, and will probably never do that again. No one enjoys writing books. No, that's the problem. Yeah. I'm, I um, I still have a contract to write a book, and it's not being written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so. Credit to Andreas for making the book happen. So what's the, what's the angle of the book? Uh, it's basically just a very basic introduction to machine learning with Scikit-Learn. Um, Who's the and there's a lot of there's uh, people who have no experience with machine learning. Um, you should probably know a little bit of Python before you pick up the book, though. And I will say that the Iris data set is used very frequently in the book. But, I was ask about oh that. boy, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine because it's a very basic intro level book, so that's appropriate. Is that why so, you hate it? So you're part no. of the problem. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe I'm part of the problem. Think about um, how many more people who know about the Iris data set now because of you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, you know what? Maybe I just looked at the Iris data set too many times, and that's why I don't like it. So, which uh, what what methods did you cover? Um, let me look at the book. Let me guess. Random forest. Actually. Linear regression, logistic regression. ALS. Four vector machines. Let's see. I'm not sure if we do. Deep neural nets. <laughs> okay. So, um, K-nearest neighbors. We do oh, linear regression, naive bays. Decision okay. trees, ensembles of trees, SVM. We go into deep learning a little bit. Um, yeah, we do some K-means. We do some PCA. Of course. Um, so a few other methods of clustering. We also cover um, dealing with different types of data. We cover model evaluation and also how to chain different algorithms together, and the whole pipeline interface. There's a little bit on text data. And yeah. Topic so, modeling? Topic modeling. I can't remember if we do that. There's topic I modeling in I my didn't, book. I didn't write that chapter. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, well we, we do, we cover, we cover text data a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, we, we do topic modeling. Cool, right. How's the book doing? I don't know. <laughs> Is that, I, I don't know, I not so great, or I don't know, like, I've stuck my head in the sand? I don't know, like, I, I stuck my head in the sand. It's been... So it's not paying your rent yet? Well, it's not going to pay my rent until, like, I, I pay out all my advances, or get my, all my advance oh, you money paid out. I did. Whoa, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, like, the main reason why I decided to join this project is because I was a poor grad student and like could really use the money. So wow, yeah. the O'Reilly advance is not that much money. I know. <laughs> but when you're in grad school, yeah. everything's a lot of money. 50 bucks is 50 bucks. So are you the kind of author who reads uh, Amazon reviews or not? Oh no, definitely not. 
I, I started off reading mine, and after a while I said, you know what, it's better for my mental health if I don't read them. So, should, we read, should we read some of yours for you? No, please don't. Um, <laughs> if, if people email me directly, I'll read that, but uh, I won't go on Amazon and look at them. Do you read the, Bar- the Breitbart comments about it? Yeah, always. <laughs> um, but switching gears a little bit, um, what is the deal with you and La Croix? The drink. Uh, LaCroix. LaCroix. It's LaCroix. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Trust me. I'm I'm an expert. (laughs) Is it based on like a town name? I don't know. It's like a Midwestern pronunciation or something? Maybe. I don't know. Well, I'm addicted to seltzer, which is not a secret. (laughs) Yes, it is possible. I'm psychologically addicted to seltzer. You know, I never drank seltzer until I started working in startups. And then What's I your favorite flavor? My favorite, um, mango. Okay. Lacroix mango. Yeah. They didn't LaCroix, have that when I was working at a place that had rent Lacroix. Lacroix, how or, or however you pronounce it, has the best seltzer in my opinion, and mashable stocks, a few different flavors of Lacroix. So, so best it, it company. Got, it it kind of got a renewed uh, popularity over the past couple of years. Yeah, I never well, even yeah. heard of it before the last year or so. They they used to not have it in New York, but they have it in New York now, which huh. is awesome. Now, is seltzer sweetened? No. No. It's not. So it's just like water flavored. with some flavor. So, so yeah. sort of like the natural rain that we get? <laughs> no, no. I, you're, you're laughing, but there's actually a local like Seattle product called oh, yes. Natural Rain. Is it carbonated? Like, yeah. Carbonated water with flavors, but it's like yeah. zero calories, zero sweetening, zero anything. Yeah. yeah, it's like that, but it's not natural rain. At least I don't think it is. Right. Well, the natural rain is not natural rain. It's just the brand name. Oh, okay. So people aren't collecting water in rain barrels and then carbonating it and then selling it to you. Maybe they are, but uh, but uh, I assumed it was just a brand name. Only hmm. only like only out west Seattle. Yeah. Anyway, but every everywhere I've worked in Seattle, that's what they have. Um, not La Croix. La Croix. I'm La pretty Croix. sure it's pronounced LaCroix. That's fine. Is that X like, signify like intersectionality or something? <laughs> ah, good point. <laughs> um, oh, like the, okay. According to like Luxon's March that uh, is happening on Jan 20. I just Googled it. LaCroix pronunciation. And it says, according uh-huh. to the official site, it is pronounced LaCroix. It rhymes uh-huh. with enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Not enjoy. <laughs> Not in Dwa, no. Oh yeah, there's a there's a Quora post about it. Yeah. <laughs> so the book is in Python. Do you um, are you are you focused mostly on Python these days or? Yes, I do exclusively Python these days for now. Do you use the PySpark API? No, <laughs> because you shouldn't use the PySpark API. It's true. Um, are you a Python 2 person or a Python 3 person? Python 2. Really? I mean, that's no. just, that's what we use at Mashable, so. You don't want to be like the hero who gets everyone to move to the present and out of the past? No, I'm no hero. Have I told you the good news about uh, Python 3.5 style type hinting? No. No. It's awesome. It makes your Python look like Scala and you can type check it. at Not at compile time, you just run a separate uh, program that type checks it. Really? It makes... Yeah, it's awesome. You know, one of the things I miss from Scala is all the, the the strictness surrounding types. 
I have a, I have in mind a blog post to write about it, and then I, and I also had in mind like proposing a PyCon talk about it. But um, one, PyCon doesn't accept my talks, and two, I don't really want to go talk at PyCon. So, um, but I still might write a blog post about it if I can get my act together, which I probably can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think people would read that. I'm I'm sure they would read it. The question is, could I write it? Oh, I would yeah. even bookmark it. I would save it for later. All right, you, you guys have convinced me. As soon as I finish uh, my little toy JavaScript project I'm working on today, I'll write that blog post. Awesome. I look forward to bookmarking it. Yeah, the, the JavaScript project, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, so you know sometimes people will like do the tweets with like the, the clap emoji between every word? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Th that's cool, right? I don't know. So I'm building uh, like a single page app where you type your original tweet into it and then it automatically prepares the version with the claps between each word. You can just click a button to tweet it. And then there's a little drop down where you can change the clap to like a, a fire or like the, the guy who's crying. Awesome. That's pretty hilarious. Pretty good idea, right? Oh, yeah. So great. I, I need that in my life easily. The question is whether I should actually buy a domain for it or just like stick it in my experiments directory on joelbruce.com. Hmm. And the other question is whether I should waste time like doing CSS and make it look pretty. Because right now it works, but it's ugly as hell. Uh, you can you can make it look good in like ten minutes. Um, maybe, but can I can I make it uh, responsive design in ten? Oof, minutes? I don't know. Well, as long as you're not doing much, yeah. And the other question is, should I make it so it automatically puts like a hashtag that like refers back to the project so that everyone who sees these tweets will know? Good idea. Yeah. Or to your book. Um. Yeah, it, it, that's a little bit of a, a little bit oblique. It doesn't really have anything to do with the book. <laughs> <laughs> JavaScript from scratch. Um. Actually, I I, I use this library called Vue.js, um, which is apparently trendy. It was pretty simple to use. Emoji from scratch. Um. So yeah. Um. What what else is on my list of? Data well, science networking. How did how did you oh, yeah. how, how did you get connected in the data science field? I mean, you know you know everyone now, right? Yeah. No, you know, I don't. You know us. <laughs> Are you guys everyone? You're all I need to know. Um, no, but I, if you if you didn't know us, then you wouldn't know everyone. So. Well, I I, I started just by going to conferences and, and giving talks and talking to people. How did you choose which conferences to go to? Because these days there's like a million conferences. Well, uh, for a while, I mostly just did Python conferences because I was really involved in the Python community. Um, when I was in grad school, I started the, or I, I co-founded the Ann Arbor chapter of PyLadies. Mm. And then like when I moved to New York, I became an organizer for the NYC Python group. Um, so I, I really just did Python conferences for a while. Um, and then... What happened? I don't know. Did, I, I gave enough did talks. Get, what? Did you ever get paid for, for speaking? Um, I've been rewarded in terms of we will cover your ticket and or um, flight or maybe lodging. I think OSCON because I did a tutorial. They threw some money toward my lodging. But I've never been like handed a check. Said mm -hmm. here, here is money for you. So you've never donated your, your speaker fees to, like, a noble cause? Um, no. I have, I have used them selfishly. If you, if you were, if, let's say someone did give you a speaker fee and, and you were going to donate it to a, 
noble cause? What cause would that be? A noble cause. Um, uh, like a charity. Hmm. What would I do? I, you know, I would, I would probably, I would probably either like give it back to the Python community or like to pie ladies. Um, you know, like that would, that would seem like for me the most right thing to do if I was going to donate it, just, you know, give the money back to the people who have really just like helped my career enormous, enormously. Just give it to Guido directly, right? <laughs> yes. Awesome. But, but not like orphans in Syria or anything like that. I mean... It's hard to figure I out could, what the most noble thing is. Yeah, I could give my, my own personal money to orphans in Syria. Give it to me. Yeah. Is that you noble? Could, you, know, you could sponsor this podcast, Sarah. <laughs> that, that too, yeah. That'd be a great <laughs> I'm footing the whole bill. It's like if $35. I, if I sponsor it, do I get to come back again? Oh, sure. No, even if you didn't, you can yeah. come back. Oh, you cool. You can come back again either way. You're always welcome here. I mean, awesome. Unless, unless someone else is scheduled. But. And I am not going to sponsor because I can just get all the perks for free. Oh, I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> Note to self. What about, what about LinkedIn? Do you find that valuable for data science networking? I hate LinkedIn. Yeah. So... <laughs> So, uh, have I found it valuable for networking? Um, truthfully, no. The most useful social media platform I've found for networking has been Twitter, easily by far. Would you quit? Would I quit? No, no which you... you quit. You quit Twitter, right? Oh, yeah. no. I, I'm still on Twitter. I just check it very infrequently. Okay. I, I, have not, I have not left Twitter. I'm still on Twitter. Um, I... I weekly consider quitting LinkedIn actually. Um, that's, a, that's pretty often to consider that. Yeah, you know. Like just, maybe just do it and then you won't have to think about it. Yeah, if I, if I never received another cold message from a recruiter ever again, like it still would not make up for the multitude of cold messages I've already received from recruiters. I'm okay with cold messages if there's like a stated purpose and it actually makes sense. I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, but, but the, so, so many of them are like, we have this great opportunity for you at unnamed company out in like yeah. the boondocks of New Jersey. And I'm like, no. Every I won't, two or three I won't days talk to recruiters if they don't tell me the name of the company. Yeah. yeah. Every couple of days I get somebody who's just like, I have no idea how they would even think I would want to connect with them. And I don't know them and... Yeah, there's no I, no context at all, and I'm just you know, they could gotten, be somebody I work. I've gotten uh, recruiter messages for like lead Scala engineer, and I'm like, look, you do not want me as your lead Scala engineer. I assure you. Yeah, um, as well as, I think the other day I got like lead information architect or something. Well, that's what your degree is in. Yeah. I mean, well, no, <laughs> my degree information, is in right. Yeah, but not information. No, no, not information architecture, information science. Uh, Maybe the recruiter didn't appreciate the difference. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. How many Um, uh, notifications do you have in your inbox? How many notifications? Like, like. like, Unanswered. (laughs) Like uh, connection requests? Yes. Yeah. I have 167. (laughs) It's a lot. A lot of people you're letting down. I know. I know. Wow. I know. I only, I only have 134. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they just pile up and I like go on like once a week 
and then I feel like quitting and then it don't go on for another week. So I have 41. Yeah. Well. I, I call mine now. Do you? That's good. Yeah. I get, I, I go like ignore, ignore as I go on. Sometimes I go on a binge of ignoring just like da, 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 oh. just to get it out of there. If, if I have, if I have a red dot anywhere, I'm upset. So. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. This Zencaster this tab has a red dot. <laughs> I was about to say. I'm not that upset about this. Okay. But yeah, we could. Um, so what else? What else is on there? Anything we didn't cover we should have, Sarah? Um, uh, we, we didn't ooh. ask what she does at uh, Mashable. That's right. Or even what Mashable does. What is Do they mash things? <laughs> they find not, things that are good at being mashed? No. Mashable. Is it like that, that, uh, that blender, that guy with the blender? Will it mash? Will it, will it blend? That's a great YouTube series. Um, no, Mashable is an online media publisher on all things related to the internet and entertainment and technology. Um, yeah, we have some really awesome articles, actually. So what I do there is I'm currently, well, so I just started a couple months ago, but I, I'm starting to work more with the people at Mashable to help figure out who our audience is and what they want to hear about and what we should write about. Um, oh, okay, cool. So uh, actually, if I could talk a little bit about this for a second, um, it's really interesting working at a media company as opposed to um, a startup building software to sell externally. Um, I don't know if, if either of you have ever worked at a company that's not like selling software externally. Um, um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I've worked at like consumer website startups, like online yeah. travel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's really interesting, um, in terms of, uh, just general atmosphere, <laughs> like at, at the startups that I've worked up, worked at before where we're selling software externally, there's this like very intense pressure to you know meet all the deadlines and get everything done and make sure it's basically perfect because it's going to be sold um or or at at uh at places i've worked the sales team has started selling things that aren't even built yet (laughs) and then (laughs) there's all sorts of weird pressure there but everything that i work on now and everything that the engineering team does is basically uh to benefit the editorial team at Mashable, which is really cool. It's like, I mean, we have a set of clients, but they're the same clients all the time, pretty much. And um, it seems like it's a lot easier to build long-lasting, sustainable relationships with them. Um, Can you share any any details about how how you're doing that? Like, what what kinds of stuff are you looking at for behavior and things? Um, hmm. Can I probably? Um. So. I could probably talk a little bit about it. So, what we want to do in general terms, I will definitely talk in hand wavy terms. So, the goal—well, maybe not the goal of every media company, but probably a lot of them—is to increase the number of unique viewers um, that are are interacting with their content. So, I'm starting to dig into um, which parts of our audience we should focus on in order to increase this number and also just Mm -hmm. do a little bit more analysis about our audience in general. I was actually 
um, doing a lot of stuff with audience over at Bitly, which is where I worked previous to Mashable. Um, so it was a nice fit for me in terms of working on things that I'm interested in and um, applying the knowledge that I've gained before to my current circumstances. Um, I'm really, really fascinated by user behavior on the internet, um, which is very erratic and unpredictable, but also very predictable at the same time. So um, mm. I'm starting to just figure out those things. And Are there, are there any lessons you can share that would be applicable to, say, people writing blogs or people tweeting or people creating podcasts about like you know what this sort of audience is interested in or what what makes them tick or what they engage with hmm yeah you should open up your api <laughs> right um well let's see i've only been here for a couple of months so i haven't done too many things yet but when i was at bitly um, I was working on a project to sort of understand um, what people were interested in as related to a particular website and then what else they were interested in outside of that website. Um, and I think the most that I could probably say is that there are patterns. They can be very hard to pull out because there's a, this is very, very messy real-world data, which is kind of related to what we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. in terms of data set complexities. Um, and a lot of it is incomplete, um, but there are patterns. And you know, if I can really just pull out those patterns and, and translate them in some actionable way to the editorial team, then I think I would have a much more interesting answer to this question in like okay. six months. So, so which do you think gets more, uh, gets more shares? I'm looking at the front page of Mashable right now. Don't look. Um, okay. A, what kind of Snapchatter are you? B, seeing the start of 2017 through spectacles is so 2017. <laughs> or C, don't be afraid of Arthur rapping Eminem. Which gets the most shares? What? The Snapchat one. No, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Well, I haven't looked at Mashable today. Yeah, it's a, it's the Arthur Rabbit Eminem, although it's been it's also been posted for the longest. So, ah. so are you just using your own your own weblogs and 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 JavaScript, or are you looking at external stuff too? Who? You. Me. Yeah. yeah Wait, no, what I'm, about? I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm are you just looking that. at? Are you just looking at like you know, the time spent on page and oh, referrers and stuff like that, or I'm looking or at. Yeah, I, I see. I'm looking at like um, I'm looking at some demographic data uh, that we get through Google Analytics, and uh -huh. I'm looking what at demographic data. Does Google Analytics give you? Uh just basic like gender, age, brackets. Wow. Um, so the thing about Google Analytics is that uh, it's hard to know. Um, so the other, well, okay, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that, but can yeah, you, New York can you is hear that New horn? <laughs> yeah, well, my, my apartment is right on the street. So um, unfortunately I get the brunt of the, the street noise. Um, yeah, it adds character. But uh, I just got totally distracted by So you were gonna say something, but you said you weren't gonna say it. Yeah. Oh, great, okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I'm looking here at a Mashable article called The Best Celebrity Feuds of 2016. How many of those can you name off the top of your head? The oh. Best Celebrity Feuds? Um, uh, 
Rachel Roy and Beyonce. Nope. It's not okay. on there. I don't. Nope. I don't know any celebrity feuds actually. Um, come on, you, you guys know this. Uh, uh, Marianne Cotillard and uh, Jennifer Aniston. Nope. God, it's not even. Close. Uh, Trump, um, Obama. I mean. Nope. <laughs> Elon Musk and Tony Stark. Oh. Wrong kind of celebrities. Wait, oh, Peter no. Thiel and no, everybody kind of else. I'll give you a hint. Number six is Selena Gomez versus Justin Bieber. Oh. They had a feud? Oh, yeah. Well. Um, wait, what about the girl who quit Fifth Harmony and the rest of Fifth Harmony? Um, That's right. Maybe not one of the top people. ones. I don't know who those people are, but they're not on the list. Oh, okay. What's the top one? Number one is Kimye versus Taylor Swift. <laughs> Who's Kimye? I think Kim Ye is like a portmanteau of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West is my guess. Oh, I understand. I mean, I don't really understand, but okay. I'm glad <laughs> to know that. That's good to I know. should have read Mashable today, clearly. There's going to be a, a pop quiz about article content. I, I, I didn't know there was going to be one until after we started recording, so. Awesome. It was a pop quiz for me, too, in some sense. <laughs> So well, uh, coming up on the top of the hour. Yeah. Um, two more questions, and then you can ask <laughs> us questions, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll sign off. Um, I, I know you've done both uh, management and individual contrib- contributor work. Well, which do you like better and why? Mm. So, ooh, yeah. I think I like management a little bit better, even though I'm having a really great time doing IC work right now, um, mostly because... Um, yeah, so when I was at Bitly, I was the lead data scientist, and I managed one other person, um, a more junior-level data scientist, and just mentoring her and working with her. She actually started as an intern, and I, I helped her grow into a full-time employee, and that was super rewarding for me, and I really, really enjoyed that. And at some point in the future, I would definitely like to do that again. Um, it is really nice to not have to worry about that right now, though, because uh, that's like a lot of responsibility that I don't currently have and that I can just, instead of focusing on that, I could just focus on the work that I'm trying to do. Um, we were a very, very small team at Bitly. It was just me and her. So uh, I was basically doing full-time IC work as well as full-time management work. That was extremely tiring. Mm-hmm. Um but it was a good lesson in both like how to help another person grow as well as time management, which is very important. And uh, eh, I don't need to go on my last questions. They're not. Uh, they <laughs> was, it a, was, it, was it about this last bullet point here? Yeah. I was going oh, to ask you about Italy, but I actually don't care about Italy that much. Oh, oh. wow. Ouch. Now who's being a hater? One hundred percent. This whole episode is about being a hater. The name of this podcast is about hating. Yeah, this is true. What is the okay. name? At, at oh, adversarial, oh, learning. adversarial learning. No, I know what the name is. Yeah, uh, no, fine. Make the case for Italy. Go for it. You got fifteen uh, seconds. Fifteen seconds. It's beautiful. Yeah. It smells good. Great food. Really relaxed. Um, great wine. I'm, my my dream is to uh, retire to Italy and own a vineyard in the Tuscan countryside. The end. 
All right, uh, Tuscan, like in Star Wars, Tuscan Raiders. No, <laughs> no, and no, I have not seen the movie Under the Tuscan Sun, and I am not going to see the movie Under the you Tuscan Sun. You don't have Sun. to. Did you see huh? Rogue One? Uh, I actually haven't yet. I saw uh, Rogue One. I saw I've it, seen uh, it twice. I saw it a couple of days ago in I Dolby. In, oh, I saw it in in 3D at our local local. Uh, 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 what do you call them? Cinema, whatever. Yeah. And then also at the Science Center in IMAX 3D. Whoa. Uh, ours had uh, IMAX 3D, 3D, Dolby, and regular. And, and I, I couldn't for life me figure out the difference. But um, <laughs> Dolby, it said they had like uh, leather recliners. So I chose that oh, one. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Pretty nice. I saw Manchester by the Sea when I was home in Michigan for the holidays. And I don't know what that is. That is a great movie, but it is very heavy. And it is it is not... A feel-good movie, but it is a yeah. really good movie. I saw the and, uh, trailer for Dunkirk in IMAX 3D, and it I was saw, uh, really nervous. Boy, oh boy, in Dolby. Yeah. <laughs> when when I went to see uh, Rogue One, I, I didn't want to take my five-year-old because it was apparently yeah. too scary. Yep. So she and her mom went to see Moana. That's um, a good one. And uh, apparently that one was scary too. But that was actually the first time my daughter's ever seen a movie in the theater. Oh, okay. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's a. I, we really like that movie. Um, my daughter wanted the Moana Barbie for Christmas. I've not seen Moana. It's all about embracing, you know, the other side of yourself that you don't want to admit you have. <laughs> it has the rock in it. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of the, the hater side, I should embrace the love everything side. Sure. Hmm. Or if yeah, or if you're constantly positive, you know, recognize that you also have a, another side to yourself. Hmm. And it's about voyaging and it's pretty fun. All right. I'll probably never see it. Cool. Well, Sarah, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot it's for being pleasure. here. Thanks for having me. It was a real blast. <laughs> you say that with such conviction. <laughs> yep. All well, right, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your, your day off, uh, if you have it off. I, I actually did a, a little bit of work today, but I wanted to. So, Good yeah. for you. Yeah. They say, you know, they say that it's... That's what, that's what management wants you to think. If you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's not true. I know. It's, it's I'm embracing so the opposite. Ways. I'm embracing the opposite side of myself. You if you hate your data sets enough, you'll never work another day in your life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway. Well, thanks. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, see you next time. Thanks again, everybody. It's been fun. Uh, just your reminders, uh, adversariallearning.com, adversarial underscore L on Twitter, adversarial.learning.podcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow our guest, Sarah, on Twitter, uh, we forgot to get that out of the episode. And I know she said she's on a Twitter break, but that can't last forever. It never does. Uh, she's Sarah with an H underscore Guido. That's S A. R-A-H underscore G-U-I-D-O. Yes, it looks like Guido, but it, it's Guido. Um, and yeah, thanks thanks for listening. This was a fun episode. I, I hope you've enjoyed it too. And now uh, we'll play you out with, with my little hip-hop instrumental theme. See ya.